What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 296 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify, and you can follow us, uh, follow our social pages on uh, Facebook and Twitter slash X for the latest updates. Glad to be back with you folks this week. Uh, it's going to be a going to be an interesting program today. You know, a lot of talk about the Patriots and kind of wrapping up their season. You know, Bruins and Celtics in full swing. Get to a lot of those. Uh, some Red Sox stuff too. Some Revolution stuff too. Um, but looking forward to it. Also looking forward to uh, Guest Friday this week. Got a couple of new guests in uh, to preview the NFL playoffs. Uh, looking forward to that later this week. I also want to say thanks to uh, Mike Craddy for coming on the pod last week. Uh, great to have Mike on. Always great to talk with him. Uh, Mike and I have been friends for quite a while, so always nice to have him um, on the podcast to talk some Bruins. Uh, so you can check that out if you have not already on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. So here we are. It's uh, the end of the Patriots season. Uh, season came to a close Sunday afternoon against the Jets, a snow-filled kind of ugly yeah, football game that not a lot happened. Uh, 17 to 3, you know, Patriots obviously, you know, very limited, I think, already in what they can do offensively. And I think, you know, weather, driving snow and that sort of stuff just didn't help um, in this game. You know, I think that coming into a game against the Jets team that, you know, you had beat, what, 16 straight times, 15 straight times, you know, I think that with not much to play for, uh, for either of these teams, kind of didn't surprise me that the Jets, you know, were able to get the win, kind of able to do enough. And, you know, I think motivated in the sense that, okay, you lose to a team 15, 16 times, you know, chances are the other team is going to get one at some point. Um, but I think just kind of a another offensive dud for this team, the Patriots, you know, which has kind of been the theme all season, you know, and I think unfortunately it's kind of, there are moments in that Jets game where it was pretty, you know, kind of a microcosm of what the season has been where, again, you know, the defense gives you a chance to be competitive, gives you a chance to win games. And, you know, the offense, for whatever reason, is, you know, incapable of taking advantage of those chances, you know, whether it's turnovers or good field position or things like that. And it just, it just seemed like one of those years where, you know, no matter what tiny, you know, positive thing they could do was followed by something hugely negative. And, you know, I think that despite the 4-13 and 13 season, I think, as I've said, you know, plenty of times over the last few weeks that I think it's at least admirable that this team has tried to fight and tried to win games and, you know, win a couple games at the end of the season, you know, against the Steelers um, and the Broncos that, you know, this team at least was able to say, okay, we're not going to completely give up. And I think, you know, it's kind of turned out that it's been somewhat of a kind of a best of both worlds type of thing where the Patriots end up with a top three pick. But, you know, also, I don't th I think didn't cave to being kind of a tanking team of a team that, you know, doesn't care. And I think, you know, it's, it's pretty clear that watching watching the defense perform the last couple of weeks that they very clearly were still trying to compete and still had something to prove. And I think, you know, nothing was more obvious than that Buffalo game where the Patriots turned the ball over four times in the first half or three, three or four times, whatever it was. And the Bills would get, you know, unbelievable field position and the Patriots would hold them to field goals. And it kind of is like, oh, okay, here's a team that you know, was 4-11 and coming into that game and not really much to play for, but here's the defense playing really hard and I think played well enough to at least give you a chance in that game. You know, very easily that could have been a game similar to the wild card game you played in Buffalo a couple of years ago that it could have turned into a, you know, 45-10 to type game, but, you know, the defense stuck with it and I think that's kind of the one thing that talking about kind of the future of this team with Bill Belichick, you know, whether he'll be part of the future or not, 
I think something that something that is going for him, I think, is the fact that the defense and some of the guys in the team chose to keep fighting, chose to continue to compete and, you know, again, not cave to kind of the, oh, well, the season doesn't matter. Why am I playing? And I think, you know, oftentimes, sometimes, you know, when there's a thought of possibly a coaching change, you know, I think sometimes having players that are going to go to bat for the coach and, you know, say things like, you know, we let the coach down or we, you know, maybe weren't able to do enough. It kind of is like, oh, okay, here's a group of guys on defense that are still willing to play hard for a coach. And I think that is kind of a huge thing for me where it's like, okay, you could probably tell if the team had given up on their coach, you know, if the defense had started to give up 30 points a game, you know, had started to give up big passing numbers and things like that, then that would kind of tell you, oh, okay, this team has kind of given up on the coach. But I think it's kind of the, to the contrary. Like, I think the defense still chose to compete and still chose to play hard and make things difficult for the Bills, for example, two weeks ago, a team that has made the playoffs and the Patriots were, you know, trying to kind of play spoiler to them. So, you know, I think I don't want to get into too much about the future of Bill Belichick because I feel like I've rehashed that same conversation for the last couple of weeks, but I still maintain that, in my opinion, I think it would be a mistake to fire him. But, you know, who knows? Uh, I think that at the moment, you know, obviously there's been no decision. I think that Belichick and Kraft have met at least once and maybe they'll meet a couple more times. But I feel like I'm kind of of the belief that if he was going to be let go, it kind of would have happened already. I guess it still could happen. But, you know, I think some of the things that he said yesterday in terms of, you know, willing to kind of cede some of the player control, you know, and kind of be open to kind of a more collaborative process, I think kind of tells you a lot that, okay, he sees that this team was not very good this year and he's willing to kind of do what's necessary to help improve the team. And I kind of don't really understand why that's such a hard thing to grasp for people that think that he's kind of more of a, you know, egomaniac, I guess, but it's like, I don't know why it's a surprise that he would be open to improving the team. You know, I feel like, sure, there have been a lot of things that he's done over the years that haven't been good decisions and they've not turned out well, but I think that at least the intention is is to do what's best for the team. And I think, sure, some of those things have not worked out. But I do think that, you know, recognizing where this team is and kind of looking at the pretty critical offseason they have, I think, you know, it would be, I think, in the Patriots' best interest to keep him and keep him under contract. And it's like, look, if he's under contract for one more season, so be it. We have this same conversation a year from now, whether, you know, he comes back or not. But I think bringing him back, I think, gives you the best opportunity, the best chance to at least maybe get back to being competitive. Because I think you look at the third overall pick that they have, you look at all the cap space that they have, you will get some of the kind of promising young guys that they have, no matter what people want to tell you about Bill's, you know, track record in the draft. There are still some guys that are pretty quality players that you can build around, not just on defense. You know, we talked about it last week. You know, I think someone like Owenu, who I think is a free agent and, you know, probably should be re-signed. You know, Ramondre Stevenson, Mario Douglas that you drafted this year. And, you know, quietly set the team record for yards and receptions by a rookie. No one really wants to talk about that. Um, But we just want to talk about the draft failures. Um, I think that there have been some decent players that you have brought on over the last couple of years. Now it's not been perfect. You know, I think you look at the 2021 draft class or uh, 2022, and, you know, most of those guys are not with the team, but... You've drafted some guys this past year 
Keon White, Christian Gonzalez that were pretty solid. You know, Douglas, Behringer, you know, those are four guys right there that I think are a key part of your future. And you brought in some other guys through the years, you know, Barmore in 2021, Stevenson in 2021, um, you know, Jennings in 2020, Uche in 2020. Not sure about Uche, whether he's going to stay, but it's like, okay, here are some guys that you've picked that have been, you know, quality contributors, but I guess we don't, I guess we don't want to spend time talking about that. So, um, but I just think at least in this off season where it's really critical, when you look at the pick that they have, you look at the cap space that they have and you look at the young promising guys that they have and, you know, maybe receivers that may or may not be available in the trade market, you really have an opportunity here to turn things around rather quickly. And I just think if you are going to get rid of the coach, then that's a whole nother thing that you have to pile on top of all the other big critical decisions that you have this offseason. That doesn't even include re-signing some of the guys that are key contributors, like I just mentioned. You know, I think Uche, they have to make a decision on Owenu, Kyle Duggar. You know, you think about those guys, and it's like, okay, you know, Hunter Henry is also a free agent. Kendrick Bourne's also a free agent. Ezekiel Elliott's also a free agent. So it's like, you have all these moving pieces. Do you really want to add searching for a new coach and kind of making sure the staff has the best tools to succeed? Do you really want to add that on top of all the big critical things that you have to do this offseason? And I kind of think the answer is no. I think it's not worth it to find a new coach. I think it's worth it to, you know, kind of just ride it out. And it's like, look, your team finishes 4-13 and 13 next year. Okay, Bill Belichick probably out the door. But I think you at least, if you keep him around, you at least, I think, have a possibility that you could turn things around rather quickly. You know, and I hate to, you know, keep coming back to this, but the Patriots played a lot of close games this year. You know, they played a lot of close one-possession games where very easily could have gone one way or the other. And so, you know, you think that if you have a better offensive line with better continuity and you have a quarterback that's not a not a total turnover machine, you know, you might have been able to win some more games. So if we look at the games that they've played this season, uh, that were one-score games. I think we did this last week. But I think... Yes, so my math, I think, was correct. So they played 12. They played 12 one-possession games this past year and won four of them. So they were four and eight. And so I think you kind of fix some of those things that happened in those close games, kind of much like what happened last year. I think that you look at this team and maybe they have a couple more wins, you know, not saying that, okay, they could easily have 10 wins. But I think if you look at that and say, okay, you look at those eight games that you lost, if you win three of those, you are seven and 10, you know, and I think you are what, two games out of the playoffs. And so it's just like, I think also, you know, we can consider that they played a tough schedule last year. You know, I remember a lot of the conversations in the offseason, oh, okay, how are they going to do against this tough schedule? If I'm looking at their 2024 schedule, it's not quite as difficult. You know, I think they do play San Francisco. They do play Cincinnati. Both of those are road games. But you look at the rest of that schedule, it's really not terribly difficult, you know, in, in my opinion. And so I think... You know, not saying that the Patriots will turn around and, you know, win 11 games next year. But I think looking at, you know, the opponents in the offseason, you know, last offseason compared with, okay, here are the teams that you're going to play next year. 
you know, obviously the division is going to be tough. There's no denying that. But it's like you look at some of the other games, Arizona, Jacksonville, Houston, Indianapolis, the Rams, Seattle, San Francisco, Tennessee, Chicago, Cincinnati, the Chargers. I mean, sure, some of those games might be tough. But it's like if I do a quick scan of these teams... There's seven teams. There's seven teams on here that made the playoffs. And so you have 10 teams on this schedule. You know, some of the teams that, that, are, that count twice, like the Jets, you have 10 teams on that schedule that didn't make the playoffs. You know, there are a couple teams that got close for sure. But I don't think that this schedule going into next year, I know it's early to look at it, but I think the schedule is going to be a lot less daunting than it was this year. Um, and I think, you know, we've spent a lot of time in the beginning talking about, you know, the things that went wrong. And I think, I don't feel like it makes sense to really rehash all the things that went wrong with this team, because I think we kind of have spent enough time on that during the season. You know, when we think about the poor quarterback play, we think about the you know, inability for some of the offensive guys to really get going. You know, I think that you saw kind of a difficult rash of injuries at certain points. You know, you lost out on seeing a full season of Kendrick Bourne, who I thought was playing good football before he got hurt. You know, he only played eight games this year. Stevenson only played 12, you know, was hurt at the end of the year, missed out on his chance to get another thousand yard year, which I think he probably was going to. Um, and I think just kind of some disappointments from other guys that really didn't kind of live up to what you kind of thought they were going to be able to do. But I think a lot of that has to do with the poor quarterback play and the poor line play, you know, and I think it kind of just was a disappointing season for a number of guys. But I do think that we saw some good flashes from some guys, you know, either throughout the season or toward the end of the season. You know, I really think that if we're looking at something, someone like Ezekiel Elliott, I think he really impressed me. He was really solid at times for this team. You know, four touchdowns on the season, 955 total yards between his receiving and rushing. You know, I think four a guy that a lot of people kind of questioned whether he was going to be, you know, anything for this team. He played all 17 games, was the team's leading rusher, um, and was the team's, you know, fifth leading receiver in terms of yards. And so I think he's a guy that I think definitely has earned a longer look to return this season. Um, and I think obviously Demario Douglas, great year that he had, led the team in receptions and yards and, was a sixth-round pick that I think a lot of people were not really expecting much from, and he led the team in yards and receptions. Uh, granted, it's not crazy numbers, but, you know, I think setting a team record for receptions and yards by a rookie tells you that, okay, they might have something here. Um, and so I think, you know, someone like that, I think, is someone that you can feel good about going forward. I kind of was sort of impressed with uh, Jalen Rieger over the last couple of games of the season. You know, he got some more opportunities, and I think in that Jets game had a couple of good plays. Um, and, you know, obviously the kickoff return against the Bills, you know, he's someone that I think could definitely return. Um, and I think kind of looking at the other side, the defense was really, really solid. You know, like looking at this, looking at this group, there's not – in my opinion, I don't think there's a whole lot of complaints about how this group performed this year. You know, I think Bentley, really good, you know, leader of that defense. Jelani Tavai had a great season. Kyle Duggar was good. Jabril Peppers, you know, I think at times was the Patriots' best defensive player. You know, I think that Miles Bryant, for all the kind of unwarranted hate that he gets, um, I thought that he had a very good season. He was quietly 
one of the Patriots' most consistent defenders. Uh, I thought Anthony Jennings, after, you know, I think being a healthy scratch in that first game of the season, played 15 games and was one of their best defenders. You know, Barmore had a great season, eight and a half sacks. And so I think, you know, you mentioned all these guys that had really good seasons. You know, we don't even mention Matt Judon and Christian Gonzalez, who, you know, played four games and didn't play the rest of the season thanks to the those injuries. So it's like, okay, you got to think that both of those guys are going to be back in the fold next year. And I think going to make a stronger defense, I think even stronger. So it'll be interesting to see. I think the contract decision for uh, Josh Uche, I'm going to be surprised if he comes back. Um, but I think you saw some good flashes from Keon White as well, the rookie, you know, Martin Mapu played a little bit all over, did have an interception. I think he definitely had some rookie lumps, but, you know, I think some of these guys that I mentioned had just, I think, really solid seasons, and I think it's something to build off of. Now, I think, looking at special teams, clearly there were, there was a lot left to be desired from Chad Ryland with the kind of disappointing season that he had 16 for 25 kicking field goals. But, you know, I think you hope that with an off season he can improve and maybe it's just kind of a rookie struggle type thing. You know, it was interesting that, you know, there's a lot said when Ryland, you know, went through that weird uh, Denver game where he missed a couple kicks and then, you know, drilled the game winner. There was a lot, you know, talking about, when you know, not trying to compare Chad Ryland, Adam Vinatieri, but there was a kind of some compare some comparisons to Vinatieri's struggles his rookie year, and that he was almost cut. And you know, look what happened to his career. But no, I think it just kind of goes to show you that okay, maybe it's not too you know maybe it's not too late for Ryland, and maybe he can you know turn it around. Um, but I think. You know, who knows? It'll be interesting to see if the Patriots stick with him. Do they look at someone in free agency? You know, do they sign someone off like a, off the street, basically, like the uh, Cowboys did with their kicker this year? Um, you know, Bryce Berenger, I think, was one of the, definitely one of the bright spots in this year's team. I think really gave the team a really good lift in the punting game. Um, and so I think, that was definitely another draft pick that I think the Patriots nailed. Because um, I just think had a really, really good season and, you know, really gave the Patriots kind of an added, not I want to say advantage, but I think some good play. And I think in the return game, you saw different guys kind of handle the ball. Um, I'm going to be curious to see uh, Marcus Jones coming back. Um, after he only played two games this year, uh, was the team's punk returner last year, um, and was really, really good. So I'm curious to see, you know, what we see from him. Hopefully he's fully healthy. But I think, you know, as far as the future, you know, I think there's there, there could be optimism that this team could possibly turn around in the offseason, but I think really they have to nail it in free agency, you know, in the draft, I think kind of whatever they end up deciding to do at the quarterback position, you know, I think it's going to be very fascinating. Um, I do think that the Bears decision with Justin Fields could really be something that affects the Patriots because it could affect their ability to take one of the top quarterbacks in the draft, whether it's Drake May or Caleb Williams or you know, whether it's whoever, you know, I think that there's a lot of time between now and the draft and a lot of things can change. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, obviously we'll keep you updated on any sort of, you know, coaching change, whether it's the head coach or not, you know, we'll keep you updated. And then, you know, free agency will hit in a couple of months and we'll kind of see what the Patriots do. And, you know, I think whether Bill Belichick returns kind of will have a big effect on kind of what they do in the offseason. I also think 
one last thing I wanted to say that it's been rumored that Josh McDaniels may return to the Patriots if uh, Belichick returns. So I think that's something to keep your eye on. And I think it could be kind of an interesting development um, that maybe could affect the Patriots' decision-making uh, specifically at the quarterback position. So I think that that's going to do it. I think we're going to move on, talk a little bit about the Celtics. A tough loss for them last night against the Pacers. Kind of a weird one in which the Celtics were seemingly in control, it seemed like, at halftime. And then, you know, the Pacers really went crazy in that third period uh, with the Celtics, or with the Pacers really, um, you know, starting to get into a rhythm offensively and hitting shots. You know, the Celtics, I think, gave up 44 points in that third quarter. I mean, obviously the Pacers are a team that can score a lot, but I think, you know, it really seemed like the Celtics were somewhat in control of that game. Um, but I think maybe not being at full strength kind of gave them some some issues. But I think the Celtics have, for the most part this year, not really been a third-quarter team, you know, outscored by 11 points in that third, and then the Pacers able to kind of withstand a little bit of a Celtics rally late in that game, get the free throws to win after Porzingis fouled uh, Matherin. Um, but I think, you know... When I watch these Celtics games without a fully healthy roster, so obviously Jason Tatum uh, was not available for this game, you know, it's kind of, you kind of take these games with a grain of salt because for the most part, you know, I think if you think about this team in the postseason, chances are they're going to be fully healthy and they should be fully healthy every game. I mean, maybe there's a game here and there where something happens and someone has to miss a game, but I think for the most part, you're going to be fully healthy in the playoffs. And so it's kind of hard for me to get too high or too low or, or, or too low specifically, you know, when they lose games like this, when they're not fully healthy, I think, you know, for the most part, the Celtics play pretty well offensively in this game, shot 52%, uh, as did the Pacers. Um, really impressed with Jalen Brown last night, I think. Obviously, sometimes he can fall into the trap of shooting too many threes, but only took four last night, you know, with 17 for 26 from the field, you know, which means that he attempted 22, 22 two-point baskets, you know, whether it's jump shots or drives. And I think toward the end of the game specifically, I thought it was good to see him being aggressive and kind of forcing the issue instead of, and kind of playing the isolation game, take, taking tough step-back shots, with, which, you know, Jason Tatum can sometimes fall into the trap of doing. But I think I was impressed with the late-game execution that he was able to get to the basket a couple times aggressively. You know, Porzingis made a big shot at the end. You know, tough that Jalen's shot got blocked at the end of regulation. Uh, you know, call gets overturned. Pacers get it, and then, you know, Porzingis fouls. Mather and he makes the free throws and you know it's kind of a, a bizarre sequence because Matherin gets fouled on the three-point shot makes the first two free throws you know misses the third which kind of was weird to me why he missed it on purpose uh, because then it gave the Celtics a chance to tie the game on like a jump shot like tip which almost worked you know Derek White kind of from the sideline, shoots kind of a jump shot that's way short, but trying to get a tip, hits the back rim, bounces out. It almost was a miraculous tip-in, but I think for the most part, this team had some good execution down the stretch, which I think is always kind of a somewhat of a concern, you know, sometimes that they can make the right plays. Um, but I think, you know, again, hard for me to be super upset about this loss. You know, it also, the Pacers are a team that have played you hard this year. They've beaten you twice, you know, once in the in-season tournament um, and obviously last night. And they're a team that I think is highly motivated. You know, they've had a good season so far. You know, it's too bad that Halliburton 
got hurt. You know, it'd be interesting to see if he's going to be out for a period, but it's a tough team. You know, it's a, a team that I think is always, you know, at their best when they're trying to beat you. And I think it's kind of not exactly a rivalry, but I think two teams that play each other really, really well. And I think you've seen some good games, you know, in the play-in tournament and then here. So I think the Celtics do have one or two more games against the Pacers this year, but uh, definitely entertaining. You know, wish the Celtics could have come away with a win, but, you know, this is a team that's 28-8 and eight with the best record in the NBA, and, you know, losses are going to happen. It was too bad that, you know, winning streak got snapped earlier in the week by, by Oklahoma City, but I think this is a team that's continuing to play good basketball. But I am going to be interested to see how the rest of the month turns out because the Celtics are playing some good teams and they're playing a lot of games. You know, Celtics have a back-to-back later this week, Wednesday and Thursday, against Minnesota and Milwaukee. You know, Minnesota best record in the West. In Milwaukee, obviously a tough out in the Eastern Conference. Um, So it's a lot of games and a lot of games that I think will be very, very interesting um, and kind of tell it where this team is going to be at. Um, so Minnesota, Milwaukee, then they have Houston on Saturday night at the Garden, and then in Toronto next Monday, 7.30 start. So was impressed with Peyton Pritchard's game off the bench yesterday. You know, I think I'm always excited when he can, you know, have those good offensive games off the bench. Um, it is going to be interesting to see the Celtics kind of thought process as the trade deadline gets closer February 8th. You know, I think there's a rumor out there that the Celtics are interested in making a trade before then. So, you know, I think you want to be careful, I think, with this deadline where, yes, you want to make a trade to improve your team. um, But I think you also want to be wary of, you know, team chemistry and whether, you know, what, what that person's role would be you know, assuming that you brought someone in, you know, what would their role be? What would their expectations for the role be? Um, And I think this is not a trade deadline where it's like, if they don't do something, it's like a giant failure. I don't think that that should be the way that we look at this year's trade deadline. The Celtics are, I think, the best, deepest team in the league. And so I think that they will probably explore all avenues to try to improve the roster. And I think they will try to, but it's like they don't get anything done. I'm not like, oh my God, they have to win the trade deadline. You know, I think usually teams that do a lot at the trade deadline are teams that feel like they need to make some kind of big change to their roster. But I don't really think the Celtics are a team that like really desperately needs, you know, someone else to come in to be like, oh my God, we have to start playing better. You know, I think they will be smart and they'll probably bring in someone that, you know, is going to be a good fit to the team and to the locker room, um, you know, as they try to compete to win the championship. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if they bring someone in, is that person going to, you know, be willing to sacrifice? Because likely if they do make a trade for someone who's, you know, a, a regular rotation player on a different team, it might be that their role might be a little bit a little bit diminished from the team that they come over with. And so I think they just have to make it clear that, you know, look, we're a group that's trying to win a championship and not really going to have time for someone that, you know, complains about their role or complains about their lack of a role and things like that. And so I think there are all these things that Brad Stevens needs to consider, you know, when he's making a trade to help improve the team. So... It'll be interesting to see, you know, how the team does over the next couple of weeks, which may, you know, indicate more. Do the Celtics want to look for a big? Do they want to look for a wing? Do they want to look for kind of another scoring guard? You know, it'll be kind of interesting to see, you know, if the thought process changes over the next couple of weeks, you know, if they start seeing some games where they get out-rebounded. Does that mean that they start being aggressive to look for another rebounding big? Um, but I think at the current moment, the Celtics could use another wing, you know, someone that can knock down threes, 
give you some instant offense because I do think that, yes, Pritchard and Hauser, for the most part, have been your scoring off the bench, and they've been pretty consistent, but they do have stretches where they're missing shots. And so I think getting one more player that I think can give you that same type of skill set I think would really make you a lot more dangerous. So got the Celtics uh, playing the Timberwolves tomorrow night at the Garden. 7 o'clock start, best records in their respective conferences. So should be a pretty good game uh, at the Garden tomorrow night. So I think that's going to do it for the Celtics. We're going to move on talk about the Bruins. Another kind of disappointing loss for a local team last night. Uh, Bruins losing in the shootout 4-3 to the Avalanche. Really good team. Very good team. Very talented offensive team. Uh, Bruins losing in the shootout, which is only there. Just trying to take a look at the total number of shootouts that they've played this year. Third. This is their third shootout. Uh, Bruins actually were 2-0 in the shootout uh, coming into last night's game. So, you know, I think kind of a back-and-forth game against a really talented Colorado team. Uh, Colorado had a lot of good chances in the overtime. So, you know, as Ty Anderson said on Twitter, the Bruins... uh, I think should consider themselves lucky that they were able to, you know, get it to the shootout, but the Bruins get the extra point, you know, losing the shootout. And I think it's just hard to be too upset at shootout losses. You know, I think like with the team in the position that they're in, it's not really a spot where it's like, oh, you really need the extra points. Um, You know, this team is currently you know among the league leaders in the NHL based on points and wins and so it's like okay losing in the shootout really is not a horrific loss but I think you look at some of the things that have happened in the last couple of games Bruins kind of not as good defensively I think as they were in that four game lose four game four game winning streak you know I think giving up the the six goals to Pittsburgh you know a couple of lapses against Tampa Bay. I know the Bruins really imposed their will in that game, but I think giving up a couple goals that were like, okay, needs to be cleaned up a little bit in, in the defensive zone. Um, Colorado, I think I think one of the goals last night was a pretty kind of ugly defensive play where Zaka and Shattenkirk kind of ran into each other, but this is a Colorado team that's very, very talented, and I think is one of the, you know, can put talent out there with the best of them. You know, anytime you can have Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr on the ice at the same time, like, you know that that team's going to be hard to beat. So, you know, I think the Bruins battled and did their best, you know, had to rally back from a 3-2 deficit in the third. Marshan gets his second goal driving to the net. I was really pleased to see Johnny Beecher uh, get in the score sheet with a goal last night sat in the Tampa Bay game on Saturday. Um, but I think he's a guy that I'm really high on. You know, I was thinking about this when I was watching the highlights this morning. I think, you know, he's a guy that I think can really carve out a role in this league as being a tough, hard to play against. You know, third line guy can kill penalties. I think has his moments in the face off dot. I think that, you know, still learning, you know, I think that that was kind of one of the small concerns about his game where, okay, if he's going to be now taking over a fourth line center role, how is he doing on faceoffs? And so I think, you know, the team has had a bit of a rough patch recently uh, at the faceoff dot, which, you know, I think is just one of those things that just happens. I think <clears throat> just like, you know, a power play can go through a dry spell or, you know, penalty kill can go through a stretch where they're giving up a lot of goals. I think face-offs is just one of those things, you know, that you win a lot at a certain point and then maybe you start losing them. Um, But I think, you know, good to see the Bruins kind of keeping the faith with Beecher and continuing to to play him. And, yeah, there have been some games where he's been out of the lineup for a game or two but always seems to come back and, you know, play with a little bit of a newfound energy. So it was good to see for him last night. Marshan gets a couple of goals, a power play goal, and then an even strength goal to tie the game. Um, 
you know, Swayman in goal, you know, I think played all right last night. You know, Colorado, it's just so many talented scoring, talented scorers that can, you know, sometimes be a lot. But, um, you know, I think you hope that the Bruins can be a little bit better defensively tonight. Um, you know, Arizona is going to be a tough out. They're a team that's playing some good hockey this year. A uh, team that played a really good game against the Bruins um, about a month ago at the Garden. So I think Bruins have to be careful with this West Coast road trip because it's some good teams and kind of just some sneaky teams that I think can give you issues if you're not paying attention. So uh, Bruins, second game of the road trip tonight in Arizona. Then they travel to Vegas, take on Bruce Cassidy and friends. Um, and then Saturday, they finish the road trip against the St. Louis Blues. And then Monday afternoon, they have a matinee on MLK Day against the Devils. So it'll be interesting the next couple of games of the road trip. You know, Swayman in goal last night. Likely see Olmark tonight. Uh, I think I've been very impressed with Trent Frederick lately. I think he's really starting to kind of grow into a role of being a guy that's not just a physical guy, but can be a goal scorer too, you know, fourth on the team in goals with 12. Um, we're starting to see Jake DeBrus kind of come back to life a little bit, which has been good to see. Morgan Geeky, I think, has really fit in well. I'm playing with David Pasternak recently, that's been really good to see. Uh, Charlie Coyle's been good, third on the team in points. You know, Danton Heinen can't... Can't can't be more happy with his production. Um, and I think you're starting to see some good production from the back end as well. Lindholm and Shattenkirk starting to pepper in some points recently. So happy to see that. Very happy to see Matt Potra back in the lineup after the World Juniors. He's been back for two games, so it's been good to see him being back. You know, something was kind of interesting that they made a mention of him possibly shifting to playing wing. Um, at certain points this season to maybe, I don't want to say limit his responsibility, but kind of make it so he doesn't have as much responsibility with, you know, being 19 and still having to manage kind of the physicality and kind of the day-in, day-out uh, wear and tear with the NHL. But I think, as I've said a lot, I'm very impressed with the little things that he can do um, and kind of things that I think you know, most 19-year-olds that come into the league without a lot of, you know, hoopla surrounding them, doing a lot of things that I think you wouldn't expect. And I think being a lineup regular has been really, really positive for his game and his development. So, you know, interested to see how the Bruins handle the rest of the season for him. Do you continue seeing him at center? Does he play some games at wing? Uh, but I think has been a really good welcome addition to this team this year because I think you know coming into training camp coming into the season and I really think that we thought that he was going to be you know a regular part of their lineup so really been pleased with the effort and the production too you know 15 points in 29 games isn't anything that's going to set the world on fire but half a point a game not too shabby so you know always pleased with Marsha and Pasternak and their ability to score you know Pasta's pasta and it's a joy to watch most nights so you know you hope that the Bruins can keep some of the scoring going I feel like I've been noticing that the goal scoring has seen a slight uptick you know ever since that four game losing streak they've been putting in a good amount of goals you know if you look at the last seven games four goals five goals five goals four goals five goals seven goals three goals you know it's a pretty good total for a team that I think was struggling to score after, you know, Patra left, but it's a good, a good goal scoring streak that they're on. So I expect them to score more goals tonight um, in Arizona, not a great defensive team, um, but it will be interesting to see, you know, how the Bruins do against a good young up and coming team that played them really, really well the last time they played. Uh, which was in Boston about a month ago. So Arizona tonight, Vegas Thursday, St. Louis Saturday. And that's the road trip. And then the Bruins will have five in a row at home, starting with an MLK Day matinee 
against the devils. So I think that's likely going to do it for the Bruins. I'm going to move on to the Red Sox. Not a whole lot of things to talk about here. Uh, the Red Sox have been pretty quiet in free agency, um, unfortunately. So, you know, we obviously talked about the Chris Sale trade and, you know, Von Grissom and what he brings to the Red Sox, I think. In a vacuum, it's a good deal for the Red Sox. But I think it's starting to seem weird that the Red Sox are not, you know, I don't know what their strategy really is, but it just seems like losing Chris Sale, yes, I think was a necessary thing that you needed to do, but it's like you also made your pitching staff even more thin. You know, I think the thought was he was going to go into the year being one of your starters, but now that you've moved him, and I think it's the right move, I think that replacing him with Lucas Giolito is not the worst thing in the world, but it's like you need more. You know, I think I think I thought that there was going to be a little bit more aggressiveness um, from the Red Sox. You know, I don't think that I was necessarily expecting them to sign Shohei Otani or Yamamoto, but, you know, you would have thought that I think by now the team would be a little bit more aggressive. Um, but I think of the moves that they've made this offseason, I think for the most part they've been smart. You know, bringing in Von Grissom is a guy who can play. You can play every day, second base. You know, Tyler O'Neill that I think gives you a really good power bat, a right-handed bat, which you needed. <laughs> you know, and bringing in a guy like Giolito, who I think the hope is he can kind of dial into the pitcher that he was three years ago. You know, and the hope is Andrew Bailey, the new pitching coach, can kind of get through to him and they can make him back to being the solid pitcher that he was a couple of years ago. But you really don't have a lot of other pitching arms that you can be like, okay, that person is definitely going to be a starter. It's like you have Bayo and you have Giolito. What else do you really have that you're going to rely upon? You know, I think Pavetta has been good in spots for this team over the last couple of years, but it's like, can you really rely on him? To be a starter, you know, be like a number three starter. Can you really rely on, you know, Cutter Crawford or Tanner Houck or guys like that? Like the Red Sox really need more in the pitching department. And it's kind of a little bit frustrating that there's not been kind of a greater urgency because I think that I thought that's what the thought process was. But, you know, I think I'm starting to get to the point where it's like being like, whatever, the team is going to be what it's going to be. And, kind of just hope that it turns out well um, because it's like getting your hopes up that they're going to sign a big name guy to a big contract. It's like, it's probably not going to happen, you know? And I think even having an opportunity to sign someone like Teoscar Hernandez, but being unwilling to give him more than two years, it's like, like, what are we doing? Like, I understand the thought process of, trying to be flexible, but it's like you do need to improve your baseball team. And I think maybe the fit would have been a little bit strange. You know, there have been some strange things going on with this team recently that, you know, there's talks about shopping Yoshida, which I think is crazy. Um, you know, it's not... I think that the Red Sox are a team that I think should be willing to listen on pretty much any player. But it's just like... He's a pretty good player for you last year. I understand that he's got some deficiencies defensively, but he's a guy that was really solid, really consistent for you for most of the year. So I kind of don't get the you know him being in trade talks, but it could just be exploratory type discussions. And it's not, you know, the Red Sox are actively trying to trade him. Um, but I think it all comes down to, comes back to pitching with this team. And it's like, yes, I think, the sale move was necessary. I think it was a good move, but there needs to be there needs to be an, at least one more starting pitcher that you bring in. This can't just be an off season where you get one starter. It need, like it needs kind of needs to be two guys. So 
going to be what it's going to be for this team. But, you know, got to say it's a little frustrating. Uh, I don't really want to get into a discussion about ownership, but I feel like I've said my piece about ownership a couple of times. Uh, but I think, yeah, you know, it will be interesting to see what the decisions are in the next couple of weeks because there, there are still quite a few quality pitchers, starting pitchers that have not been signed. So there is possibility that, okay, the Red Sox could come out of the woodwork and sign another guy, but it does seem to be a pretty slow pitching market uh, so far this season, which is kind of strange to me. Um, so I think we're going to move on talk a little bit about the Revolution. The Revolution announced um, updates to the team's technical staff. Um, so Caleb Porter will obviously be the head coach. Clint PA, the Revolution's interim coach, uh, for the remainder for the remainder of last season after Bruce Arena left, uh, will be back on the staff. Caleb Porter also hiring longtime assistant Pablo Marrera as um, assistant coach. So he is among one of the assistants that are, that were hired. Uh, the Revolution did make a couple of other kind of team decisions as they signed free agent defense defender. Uh, Jonathan Mensa, who's 33, last played for Columbus. Um, I played for Caleb Porter in Columbus. Um, and the Revolution also signing Heinrich Rabas, uh, who's a goalkeeper. And recently... Okay. Let me read the transaction. Uh, is a goalkeeper, which... Take a look. So played in Poland recently. Um, so signed through 2026. Uh, so played in three years in Poland in their first dis first division. 63 appearances over three season over three seasons. 26 years old um, has also played in Slovakia and in England. Um, so the revolution, I'm assuming, signing Ravas to be their, you know, starting goalie for the next, for the next season. You know, not really sure what exactly happened to um, Tom Tomas Vaslik, who's I think supposed to be their goaltender. Um, you know, kind of a replacement for Petrovic, but it never really materialized for some reason. So doesn't seem like he's in the fold, but. Taking a further look at Jonathan Mensa, who is a Ghana international player, uh, signing a one-year contract for the Revolution. Um, so recently, so he did play for uh, Caleb Porter in Columbus, six years with Columbus up until 2022. Um, and then he actually played for San Jose last season, 26 appearances with 21 starts. So pretty experienced central defender. You know, curious about curious about what this means for the other uh, defenders that the Revolution have on the roster. You know, they did bring in Nick Lima earlier in the offseason. So curious about what the Mensa signing means for, like Andrew Farrell um, or Dave Romney or some of the other defenders. Uh, so it'd be interesting to see. Uh, Revolution did also bring back Ima Boateng, who I was really happy to see him return. So... Good to have him back. Always enjoy watching him play. Guy that plays with great pace. So uh, some exciting moves for the Revolution, that's for sure, um, as we get closer to the start of the season, which will start in late February. So I think that that's going to do it for our local team's update. We're going to take a look at some notes from around the sports world. We'll first take a look at the NFL uh, before we get going, though, I do want to congratulate the Michigan Wolverines for winning the uh, College Football National Championship last night, 34-13 over Washington. So they finished the year 15-0 with a national championship, their first since 1997. So taking a look at some NFL notes here, a couple coaches that uh, were let go, Arthur Smith in Atlanta, and Ron Rivera in Washington. 
Wink Martindale resigning as the Giants defensive coordinator. Um, and the Dolphins heading into the, this season with more injuries as the over the last couple of weeks the Dolphins have lost Jalen Phillips and Bradley Chubb um, and they also lost Andrew Van Ginkle and Jerome Baker um, in Sunday's game against the Bills so they continue to lose some guys we'll take a look at some of the scores from around the NFL in the last week of the season uh, Steelers beating the Ravens they ended up getting into the playoffs with the win, 17-10 over Baltimore. Mason Rudolph with 150 yards and a touchdown. Um, with the win here, the Texans punched their ticket to the postseason, winning 23-19 in Indianapolis. So Texans back in the postseason. C.J. Stroud, two touchdown passes in the win. Uh, the Bengals beat the Browns. 31-14, Bengals missed the playoffs. Browns 11-6 after the loss. The Lions wrapping up their 12-win season with a 30-20 win over the Vikings. Vikings fall to 7-10. They finish the year at 7-10. The Titans knock out the Jaguars from postseason contention. 28-20, the final score. Jags missed the playoffs after a pretty promising season a year ago. Titans improved to 6-11 with the win. Saints dominate the Falcons 48-17, but unable to grab a postseason spot as the Buccaneers beat Carolina 9-0, getting their clinching the NFC South. So Buccaneers winning the division over the Saints thanks to a tiebreaker. The Packers beat the Bears 17-9 as they clinch a postseason spot as well. Raiders beat the Broncos 27-14. Both teams ending their season at 8-9. The Giants are able to get a big win over the Eagles to end their season 27-10 the final. Giants 6-11 at the end of the season. And the Seahawks beat the Cardinals on a last-second field goal miss. By the Cardinals, 21-20 Seahawks win. Chiefs beat the Chargers, 13-12. Not much meaning in that game. Chiefs get the game-winning field goal uh, from Harrison Butker. And the Rams beat the 49ers, 21-20. They clinch a spot in the postseason. Cowboys clinch the NFC East with a 38-10 win. And then the Bills beating the Dolphins, 21-14, as they clinched a playoff spot. So take a quick look at the standings here, or take a quick look at the playoff schedule here. Before we let you guys go, I do want to mention that Guest Friday will be talking more um, in-depth about these games. So obviously in the AFC, the Ravens getting the first round bye, and the 49ers getting the first round bye in the NFC. So Saturday, we have two games on the schedule, Browns at... Texans, 4.30 start there. Miami at Kansas City, an 8 o'clock start there. And then Sunday, Pittsburgh at Buffalo, 1 o'clock start. Green Bay at Dallas, 4.30. Los Angeles at Detroit at 8. And then Monday night, the Monday night playoff game. Philadelphia at Tampa Bay, 8.15 start on ESPN there. So those are the games for Wild Card Weekend. We'll talk more about those. Um, on Guest Friday. So I'll take a look at some NBA notes. The Grizzlies announcing that John Morant will have season-ending shoulder surgery. So really tough blow for the Grizzlies team that already had a tough start to the season. Uh, sources saying that Tyrese Halliburton avoided the serious injury in the win against the Celtics last night. Uh, and I'll take a look at some NBA games on the schedule tonight. Sacramento and Detroit at 7. Minnesota and Orlando also at 7. And then at 7.30, Portland and New York. Um, 8.30, Memphis and Dallas on NBA TV. 
and then 10.30 Toronto and the Lakers. Take a look at the standings here. Celtics still in first place in the East, three and a half games in front of the Bucks, And then they are followed by the Heat, or they are followed by the Sixers, the Heat, the Magic, the Pacers. And then in the play-in positions, Cleveland, New York, Chicago, and Brooklyn, with Toronto a half game out of that final play-in spot in the West. Minnesota leads the conference by a game over Oklahoma City. Then they are followed by Denver, the Clippers, the Kings, and the Dallas Mavericks, and then the Pelicans, Rockets, Suns, and Lakers in the play-in positions with the Jazz and the Warriors a half game out. <clears throat> so I'll take a quick look <clears throat> at some MLB notes here. The Dodgers ended up adding Teoscar Hernandez, Sean Manaya joining the Mets, and former Red Sox executive Haim Bloom is joining the Cardinals as an advisor. It was news yesterday, so good for him getting another job in baseball. So I'll take a quick look at the NHL. Quite a few games on the schedule tonight. The um, we'll take a look at some some notes here. Um, William Nylander setting a record. I think the richest deal for any Maple Leaf player ninety two million dollars over eight years. So he's staying in Toronto a little bit. Upset by that, I thought that the Bruins maybe could have had a chance to sign him in the off season. Uh, but he'll be in Toronto for the near future. And uh, Marc-Andre Fleury signing, Marc-Andre Fleury tying uh, Patrick Law for the second all-time in NHL wins in Minnesota win recently. So we'll take a look at the schedule. There are 10 games on the schedule tonight, including the Bruins and Arizona. Some other games worth watching. Uh, Los Angeles and Tampa Bay. Vancouver and the Islanders, Edmonton and Chicago, Bedard again, well, not Bedard, because he recently got hurt uh, with a broken jaw, so he won't be playing in this game, so Edmonton and Chicago also a game worth watching. Taking a quick look at the standings here, the Bruins in first in the Atlantic, followed by Florida and Toronto. In the Metro, we have the Rangers followed by Carolina and the Islanders, and then in the wildcard spots, the Flyers and the Devils, with Washington, Pittsburgh, and Detroit all tied in points for that last wildcard spot in the, in the East. In the West, you have Winnipeg leading the Central and actually leading the entire NHL with 56 points. Then they're followed by Colorado and Dallas in the Pacific Vancouver, Vegas, and the LA Kings. And then the wildcard spots, you have Nashville and Edmonton with St. Louis and Seattle both tied with point in points with Edmonton for that last playoff spot. So before we let you guys go, do you want to extend a uh, congratulations for, um, or con extend a congratulations to um, East Longmeadow native Frank Vetrano, who just recently was named to the NHL's uh, all-star team are named named as one of the Western Conference all-stars. I think it was a really great honor uh, for Frank, who obviously used to play for the Bruins, has bounced around a little bit, played for Florida, the Rangers, um, and Anaheim, just to name a couple teams, uh, but very much deserving. Great year that he's had so far, uh, leading the Ducks in points in goals and points, 18 goals, 28 points. Um, so very well-deserved uh, for Frank, a Massachusetts native. And uh, yeah, so just wanted to say congratulations. Great honor for Frank. So you can see the NHL um, All-Stars play February 3rd, I believe is the All-Star game in Toronto. David Pasternak will be going. I think the NHL did uh, naming all, or named some of the All-Stars recently, each team getting one player selected, and then there's 12 more players that will be selected, and then it'll be a player draft. 
still doing a three-on-three tournament, but player drafts, which will be really uh, interesting and fun to watch whenever that happens. So I think it's going to do it for me this week. Looking forward to Guest Friday later this week uh, as we preview the NFL playoffs with some new guests. So looking forward to that. Um, so we will uh, we'll talk to you then.